I'm really, really excited uh, this morning. Uh, and it actually has nothing to do with the fact that uh, I made the uh, championship game of my fantasy football playoffs, and I'm planning on winning this afternoon. Um, I probably just jinxed myself right there. I just wrapped up second place. Um, but I'm just, I was excited when I woke up this morning just to be here, right? just to be with all of you um, and to celebrate the things we get to celebrate today. And, and man, I don't know if you realize how blessed we are, but... I'm not that great at math, but I can't even count the number of instruments that have already been played up here this morning, all right? God has blessed uh, this church with all kinds of musical talent, um, and I think that might have been why he brought me here, because he knew that you needed no more musical talent, all right? So I was a perfect fit, um, but uh, it's, it's just thank you to all who, who gave of your uh, time this morning, and um, all of it, by the way, is, is used to build uh, to the moment where we open this, right? This, this church is foundation is on the word of God, and, and so I apologize, right, uh, ahead of time for doing this, but I'm going to ask you to stand just one more time if you're able, uh, and just join me. We're going to put it up on the screens for you. Uh, we're going to read from Matthew 2 this morning, so just follow along with me on this. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? Now that's a really important phrase. Okay, we'll get back to that. We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Uh, Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for... Just the truth in it and, and the reality of Christmas, God, and what it means. And, and so I just pray today, Lord, that you'd, uh, you'd overcome distractions of life. You'd overcome me. You'd overcome this um, kind of ridiculous respiratory infection I'm fighting. That you just move all this stuff out of the way, Lord, and you just take over in this time. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. Thank you for indulging me on that. Um, I mentioned in the prayer, I've been fighting this, this junk in my chest for a while now, so if I just start coughing a bunch, I apologize ahead of time, um, but hopefully we'll get through this. Uh, do you know how important it is to get things in the right order? Right? Back in uh, 2004, there was a movie released by M. Night Shyamalan that was called The Village. Okay? I, I, can, I can see heads nodding, some of you have seen this. Right? It was a movie about this remote community that had a treaty or an understanding of sorts with these really scary creatures that lived in the woods surrounding their town. And of course, for there to actually be a moving story, that became threatened and there was conflict, right? And like many of his movies, uh, this particular plot kept building tension and it kept building and building and building until this big, shocking, stunning ending, right? I'm not going to spoil it for you this morning if you haven't seen it, right? But when it came out, I, I was living in Putnam County at the time, and so I drove to Terre Haute of all places. And I went and, and saw it, and I found out later that night when I got home that my parents had went to see the same movie, only they'd gone to this little theater in Greencastle, Indiana. Uh, the last time I had been to that theater, uh, the projector caught fire in the middle of the movie I was watching, and I wasn't able to end it, so that's why I drove to Terre Haute, right? Um, and so I asked them, I said, well, what did you think? And they just kept talking about how confusing the movie was. Right, how it just didn't make any sense, and it just dumbfounded me. Right, I've never really seen myself as a, a movie elitist, but the plot of this movie really didn't seem that confusing at all to me. In fact, it was pretty simple. Right? And so I was 
I was just so disappointed that my parents, who up to this moment I believed were intelligent people, right, would be so confused by this basic movie. And, and, and so in my despair, I just kept asking questions and pressing, like, what was so confusing? And that's when we discovered what happened. Somehow, in, in loading the projector, an, an employee at the Greencastle Theater loaded the reels out of order. And so when my parents watched the movie, it was all in the wrong order. So the big surprise ending was thrown right in the middle and other scenes had been placed around. And, and luckily my faith in my parents of actually having a functioning brain was restored because of course that was confusing, right? And now I tell you that this morning to make sure you never, ever, ever go see a movie in Greencastle, Indiana, okay? But I also say this, it's important, incredibly important to have the things in the right order. We read together these verses in Matthew 2 this morning, and there was a similar sort of confusion at play. At the the point in history when Jesus Christ was born, there was this collective, widespread belief held by almost all Jewish people that was just flat wrong. It was just wrong. You, you, You must understand the context of the environment to which Jesus came. The Jewish people as a whole were anxiously awaiting for hundreds of years the arrival of this Messiah. Now, Messiah simply means this promised child who would be the deliverer of Israel as they saw it. Have you been with us this month and all month long, every Sunday morning, we've looked at, at prophecies in the Old Testament that, that foretold the events of Jesus' birth and life and other things. And these were called messianic prophecies because they're about the Messiah, Right? And so the hope of the entire nation of Israel was contained in these prophecies in that the, a promised child was to be born to them. And here's why. They believed, they came to believe that the Messiah would come and be an earthly king. Right? And his job was to reestablish Israel as a nation and that his kingdom would spread and Israel would become the great power in the world. They would be number one. Right? There's just one big problem with that. It wasn't the plans that God had for for the Messiah. Now you must know they weren't totally crazy as the Messiah would claim a kingdom. It would just not be the kingdom they wanted. And this was a problem because Jesus was the Messiah. And so, so much of his life and so much of who he was matched up with what they'd been waiting for. Matched up with these prophecies. Right? And so they start to get excited. But they had this preconceived notion of what he was supposed to do for them. And it was all out of order, and Jesus would have none of it. And it was this false idea, this incorrect belief that left so many people disappointed in him. It began right away. We read right there in, in Matthew 2 that when the, when the Magi came, they used a certain phrase that caught everyone's attention. They said, where is the newborn king of the Jews? Right? And Matthew says the whole city was stirred. With all that anticipation, there was a lot of power in that short phrase. In John 6, right after Jesus performs another amazing miracle, a huge crowd begins shouting that that he's the one they've been waiting for. And it says that Jesus could tell, he knew they were going to try to force him to become king right there. Palm Sunday, we celebrate every year the Sunday before Easter that we mark on the calendar. It denotes the day that Jesus came into Jerusalem. And it wasn't just that people lined the streets when he came in. It wasn't that they just cheered him and praised him. But if you read the accounts of that day, the crowds kept calling Jesus names that were specifically reserved for the Messiah alone. And so what was actually happening is that that crowd believed Jesus was coming into Jerusalem to start the revolution and take his reign and establish Israel as a nation again and the number one nation in the world. And this title attached to Jesus. 
He couldn't shake it. The Roman soldiers put the crown of thorns on his head. It attached to him all the way to the cross because when he, when he was going to the cross, they put the crown of thorns on his head and a robe on his back to mock the very idea of that title of a king. They mockingly genuflected in front of him, then blindfolded him, struck him in the face and said, prophesy to us, O king, who hit you? And if you remember, on top of his cross, hanging up there, his title was turned into a charge. As he hung, dying there for all to see was written, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. It was one last punch in the face. For those who believed the Messiah would be an earthly king for the Jews only. One last message from the Romans to the Jews. You want your king? Here he is. Rome is and will always be your king. You see, Jesus caused plenty of controversy. He always stirred the pot, but in no other way did he ever cause as much disappointment as he did in not fulfilling the Jewish people's plans for him. And that shouldn't surprise us, shouldn't it? Should it? Because let's just be honest this morning, isn't that like us? And by us, I mean humans, that, that God, in, in a move of great love and amazing submission, would, would subject himself to coming to earth, and all along, they had plans for him. Right? They, they had their own dreams for him that they expected Jesus to fulfill for them, and, and when his plans didn't match hers, theirs, they were upset at him, and before we shake our heads too quickly today, that's exactly how we treat God today. And the most frustrating part, looking back, is that they never got this idea of an earthly king from Jesus. Never. John chapter 1, Jesus meets Nathanael, who who had become one of his closest disciples. And he tells Nathanael, by the way, I saw you sitting under a tree earlier today. And it was really impressive because Jesus was nowhere around when Nathanael was under the tree. And so Nathanael is so impressed by this, he calls Jesus the Son of God and here it, the King of Israel. You know how Jesus responded to Nathaniel? He said, please. That, that impresses you? You're going to see a whole lot more impressive stuff than little miracles in an earthly kingdom. That passage in John 6 that I referred to earlier when they wanted to force Jesus to be their king, Jesus' response was to slide away and take off because he wanted nothing to do with that. Many times in the Gospels we find Jesus performing some ridiculously amazing act and then he'd tell the person that he helped out, Make sure you don't go tell anyone about this. Keep, keep this between us. It was like he, he didn't want his popularity to grow. Every time the crowds following him got too big, he'd purposely teach or say something really difficult just to run off most of them. Right? He, it, he constantly kept the swell around him down because he wanted nothing to do with their plans for him. He had something far greater in mind. In fact, if they would have just listened, he told them. Time and again, he, he said that he was going to be turned over and delivered into the hands of, of his enemies and that he must suffer many things and die. Now, that doesn't sound like a game plan for an unending, all-powerful earthly kingdom, does it? Once when he told his closest followers about this, one of them named Peter took Jesus aside and began scolding him. And he said, surely this will never happen to you. Why did Peter do this? Because it didn't match Peter's plans for Jesus. That's why. And Jesus looked him square in the eye and said loud enough for everyone else to hear, get behind me, Satan, because you have in mind the things of man and not the things of God. Did you hear it? He says, Peter, stop forcing your plans on me and start thinking about what I might be up to. 
On that day that Jesus faced that death, that suffering, that cross, he stood before an earthly ruler in Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, who asked him clearly, he said, are you king of the Jews? And Jesus' response was simply this, my kingdom is not of this world. Well, now we're getting somewhere. Okay. Finally, after all that time, after all that waiting, after all the unfair projecting of their own hopes and plans on Jesus, someone finally has the wherewithal to ask Jesus himself if he is indeed a king. It took a pagan Roman ruler, but someone asked the question. And Jesus' answer was, oh, I'm a king, all right. It's just that my kingdom is much higher. It is much bigger. It's much greater than any little allotment on this earth. See, the truth was there the whole time. Jesus never once claimed to be an earthly king or a government or ruler. He had no time or interest for that. But you must know he claimed a kingdom constantly. The gospels record for us multiple times at the start of his ministry, Jesus saying, repent, because the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is at hand. He told people that God's kingdom was being ushered in through him, through the person of Jesus Christ, that he taught on this kingdom. He he told stories and parables about this kingdom, this kingdom that he was establishing. Not an earthly kingdom, but an all-encompassing one. Not a kingdom just for that time, but a kingdom that would last for all time. A kingdom not just for one nationality, but for people on all corners and to reach every corner of the globe. A kingdom where peace is made between God and man forever. And he is the initiator. He is the creator. He is the causation of, the reason for, and mostly he is the king of that kingdom. And even Jesus admitted that at first it didn't look like much. If you're still in Matthew 2, if you have Bibles with you this morning, just flip over to Matthew 13. If not, you can just listen along with me. Because in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is, is teaching about this kingdom that he's establishing, right? And here's, here's what he says in verse 31. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree and birds come and make nests in its branches. Jesus is saying that the kingdom he is establishing is just a mustard seed. And a mustard seed is incredibly tiny. It's so small that you can barely see it with the naked eye if you held it in the palm of your hand. And Jesus is saying, I get it, right? I get it, guys. I'm walking around talking about a kingdom, and you guys are upset because I'm not marching on Rome. Just take a view historically of Jesus' claim to be king, and you'll see it seems pretty preposterous. Instead of being born in a palace, he's born in a barn, Surrounded by animals. His birth is not celebrated by thousands, but by a few measly nobody shepherds. Instead of the kings over all the earth paying him tribute, one tried to kill him. Instead of forming an army, Jesus recruited a group of of 12 of the most ordinary men to follow him around and hear him teach and do nice things for people. Instead of ever running for office, Jesus ran away when people had their mi- in their minds to make him king. He never took money. He never accepted brides. He wouldn't do favors for people. He was always the giver. I mean, he was the worst politician in the history of the world, right? He gave of himself. He gave healing. He gave hope to the lowest of people. He hung out with all the wrong people and let that tarnish his reputation, and he didn't care. And when he didn't live up to their standards for him, they got impatient, they wanted more, and they pushed back. 
And Jesus said, wait a minute. Do the healthy need a doctor? Or do sick people need a doctor? You see, I, I came for the sick. He said, I came to bring light to the darkness. I came to bring sight for those who know that they are spiritually blind. I came to seek and save those who are lost. He said, that's my, that's my mission. And he was so dedicated to that mission that he willingly went to a cross and he suffered immensely and he died. He died to pay the price for the sins of mankind. He died because I'm a failure and because I am imperfect and because I am on my own, I am lost and I am blind and so were all of us. And Jesus, on his cross, took the price that I owe God, the death that I deserve to suffer, and he took that all on himself because he came not to establish an earthly kingdom. No, he came on a rescue mission. He came to pay our price so that if we believed in him, we could have peace with God. And here's what he said in John 10. He said, guys, when I'm on that cross, it might look like the Pharisees and Romans conspired together to execute me, but you must know that I laid down my life willingly for you. He said, I will not be forced to die. I will choose to give my life for your sake. He's saying, I am the king and no one takes my life from me. No, I give it for you. Yes, Jesus is king. And as a true king, you see, as a true king, there were two things that he never needed. Right? The two things were this. Number one, he never needed the title they gave him. He didn't need their title. And number two, he never needed their agenda for him. They kept trying to label him as king of the Jews, the earthly king, this ruling governor, and he had none of it because he was the king of kings. They kept trying to get him to create the safest, most comfortable earthly life from him that they could have, and he had none of it. Why accept Israel as a ruling nation for your limited years on this earth when you can spend all of eternity in God's kingdom? You see, the people in Jesus' time made a crucial mistake. They believed that it was Jesus' responsibility to live up to the titles and agendas that they gave him. When the reality is, he's the king. And since he's the king, they don't get to define his role. They're not calling the shots, he is. And ironically, the whole time, He was at work creating a wondrous kingdom and reality for them. And all they wanted to do was to pull and drag him down to meet their weak and limited expectations. And he had something far better in mind. It's just that they didn't care. And let's be really frank this morning, okay? Let's just be honest. Far too often, neither do we. Neither do we. Right? Because we do this with God all the time. God better fulfill the titles that I give him. Right? God better be that genie in a bottle that I can get whatever I wish. His agendas, his plans, his ideas, they better match up with mine. Or God is not real and he is not good or he is not worthy of giving my life to because he didn't do what I wanted him to do. Without ever once considering or asking, well, maybe he had something better, something bigger, something beyond your understanding at work. Listen, man, if we do anything this morning, we need to grasp the roles. We need to understand the roles. Jesus is king, and the king sets the agenda. He calls the shots. He makes the plan. God's kingdom is not a democracy. It's a kingdom. And back in Matthew 13, Jesus said, yeah, it looks small right now. 
It looks like a mustard seed even, but, but I'm on a rescue mission. And he says in John 12 that his mission, right, was to be like a kernel of wheat. And he says this, he says, see, if you leave a kernel of wheat alone, right, you leave it above the soil by itself, living, nothing happens. But if you kill that thing and bury it in the soil and it dies, it explodes and produces many new kernels. Jesus is saying, it looks small right now, but I'm going to give my life and from my death, my kingdom will explode into a plentiful harvest of new lives, new subjects who have found eternal life in Christ and declare him as king. And let me tell you, today in this room, we sit 6,000 miles and 2,000 years removed from where Jesus made that claim. And his kingdom has exploded all over this earth. And this week, billions of people will celebrate his birth and his arrival to come and establish the kingdom of God that they are so joyous to be a part of. It doesn't look like a mustard seed anymore, does it? That's why he said that mustard seed would grow to be a tree. It would overwhelm every other plant in the garden. Jesus called that he knew, he knew because he's the king. He knew, you see, the Jewish belief about the Messiah, it wasn't horribly misplaced. Right, the Bible speaks of a glorious day to come when, when Jesus' kingdom will actually envelop the earth. So it's not like they missed it entirely, they just had it out of order. And it wasn't just out of order chronologically, it was out of order because they reversed the roles. Somewhere they believed that it was their prerogative to call the shots for God. Somewhere they got the idea that it was up to them to create the experience they wanted for the coming king. And of course, of course, okay, what they did was they created Jesus to be what was most comfortable for them. A Messiah, a Jesus who gave their nation the best, who ruined their enemies, who gave them the most successful, um, pleasant lives on this earth. They believed they could make Jesus who they wanted him to be. Now there's, a, there's another movie called Talladega Nights, right? And if you've ever seen this movie, you probably would have never guessed it would ever be used in a sermon, right? Um, because it's just such a stupid movie by design, right? Now, the main character is named Ricky Bobby, who's this NASCAR driver who, despite being very successful racing cars, he's just not a smart man. Okay. And there's this scene in the movie where Ricky and his family are around a table getting ready to eat, and Ricky's going to say grace. He's going to say the prayer over the meal. Only at the start of every line in the prayer, he keeps praying to what he calls sweet baby Jesus. Right. Now, his wife just finally just can't take it, and she tells Ricky, by the way, Jesus grew up, Right? So you shouldn't be praying to baby Jesus. And his response is this. This is what he says. Well, I prefer the baby Jesus. So when you say grace, you can pray to baby Jesus or teenage genus Jesus or grown-up Jesus, whichever one you want. I like baby Jesus. Okay. Now, it's meant to be one of the dumbest scenes in movie history, and they accomplished that, right? But hear me. What they accidentally did, what they accidentally accomplished was that they provided an accurate picture for how this world, and especially Americans, see Jesus. Because from the Jewish people who've been awaiting the arrival of the Messiah for hundreds of years all the way to Ricky Bobby in our current day, humanity has somehow mistakenly gotten the idea that we get to define Jesus. That, that we get to give Jesus all these different labels and agendas and identities and purposes don't believe me? Go to the mall this afternoon. Go to Walmart. 
right? Go wherever you want in a public place this afternoon. Ask 50 different people who they think Jesus is. And you might get 50 different answers, but you will get 50 answers. And they'll all be giving you your, their opinion of him, their belief in what he must be about. And the problem is that by the authority of the word of God, Jesus is king. And he's not the king of Israel alone. He's not the king of America. He's not the king of any one nationality or race or dominion. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The Bible tells us that he is supreme over all and he is holding all creation together. Where do we get off thinking that we can define him? Where do we get this idea? Now, to just show you how ridiculous it is, I want you to try something similar the next time you face an authority in your life and come back to me and tell me how it goes. Next time you're traveling down the highway, you're in a hurry, right? And you're going 72 and a 55 and you see those dreaded red and blue lights in your mirror. Okay, you pull over and the officer walks up and says, license and registration, please. And you say this, you know what, officer? You see, to me, you're a symbol of structure. Right? You're, you're an image of law and order, and, and that brings me comfort. I want you to know that. But to me personally, I just don't see how you have any real authority in my life. And so I'm just going to drive off. How, you know what? Try that. Come back and tell me how that went. Or when you go to work and your boss comes up to you and he or she tells you they've got an assignment, a project, a job for you to do, and you say, you know what, boss? Thanks for thinking of me, but the way I see it, you, you empower me to do the job as I see fit. So I just don't want to do this project, so I'm not going to do it. Right? See, nobody who wants to stay employed would ever consider such a statement. Yet from the moment, from the moment the God of the universe, the king of all creation arrived on this earth, this is what we have done with him. How dare we? How dare we? In this area, it's not funny. In Matthew 16, there's this incredibly powerful exchange between Jesus and his disciples. He calls his guys close to him and he says, guys, what are you, what are you hearing out there? Right. Who are people saying that I am? They said, well, you know, some people are saying you're a prophet. You might even be you know, John or Elijah, some of those guys that came before. And then Jesus looks them right in the eye and he asks them the question that would hang before them and all of us to come for the rest of the time. And he says, no, guys, who do you say I am? Right, you see, Jesus Christ came to this earth to do what you couldn't. He came and lived a perfect life to die and pay the price for your sins. He came to bring peace between you and him because you are incapable of that. And the only thing left in the air, the only thing that is still hanging in the balance is that question, Jesus looking right at you and saying, but who do you say that I am? And before you rush to answer that, let's just get one thing clear. Jesus is not asking for your opinion. Can we just make sure we understand that? Jesus doesn't care what you state your opinion of him is. He doesn't. And this is why throughout the history of time, opinion has never influenced fact. Not once. Do you realize my opinion has never once changed truth? Truth is truth whether I recognize it or not. So when Jesus asks, who do you say I am? He's not looking for you to give a quick answer. He's not pleading with you to vote him prom king. The question he is asking is meant to cause you to have a deep personal reflection. Because it's not a question that we can answer in words. Jesus asks, who do you say I am? We answer that question every day of our lives. 
The decisions that I make, the, the priorities that I set for me and my families, the things that I declare most important in my life, the things that I invest my time and my resources and my talents in, what I hold dear, what I value, hear me, what I worship, day in and day out, moment by moment, that answers the question of who I say Jesus is. And for people throughout this room this morning, right, there is a time in your life, and, and you are thankful for it, when you have submitted yourselves to the kingship of Jesus Christ. Right? You, they don't just go to church or believe in God. No, they have declared their allegiance to Jesus. They know that without him, they have no hope for life, no hope for forgiveness, no hope for purpose or grace. They have submitted to his kingship, and they live life declaring that Jesus is not just a king, he is their king. And also in a room this size, there are people who have not done that, who may be banking on an idea that they're a good person. I don't remember. They have good church attendance. Right? I believe in God. Or they have a problem because God's agenda didn't match theirs. Or his truth didn't make them comfortable. Right? And so, so you've resisted the king. You've refused his rule. You've redefined him to make him more comfortable for you. You must know okay, that on the day that Jesus died, there were two groups of people trying really hard to preserve their own rule. The religious leaders of Israel and Pontius Pilate both felt that in sending Jesus to the cross, they would get to keep their kingdoms. Well, I tell you what, I hope it was worth it. Because what they got were a few more years in this earth in a tiny little corner of the world, and what they missed out on was being in the kingdom of all of heaven for eternity. I hope it was worth it. So here's the thing. Jesus is king whether you or I or anyone recognizes it or not. We don't get to decide that. We don't get to define him. The only question that remains is, is he your king? He came for you. He paid a dear price for you. He suffered and died for you. He rose from the dead for you. And the question that he presents to you today is, who do you say I am? And today we want to offer you the chance to declare Jesus as your king. But before we do that, okay, we want to give you a picture of what that looks like. We're going to celebrate with a couple of people who have recently done this. As you walk in, walked in today, you should have been given a handout telling you about some young girls who recently gave uh, one of their lives to Christ. Sydney on there, she's going to be baptized. Right? I encourage you to take a look at that because before we bring the band back up here, right? before we invite you into a time of response, we're going to celebrate with them as they are baptized and declare publicly that Jesus is their king. Before we even do that, we want to show you a video that tells the story of a young lady in our midst, right? A young lady who, who we love has been in our midst, and she has come to know Jesus as her king, and then we'll baptize her too. And so as we go through this, as you watch the video, as you watch the baptism, you see the new life that is possible in Jesus Christ, man, know, just know, that can be yours today. It can be yours today. Jesus is king. He is he doesn't need our recognition of that, but it is so much better for you and I when we humbly submit to him as our king and give him our lives. 
it is for our good. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the King of Kings. We thank you that uh, he holds all creation together, God, that, that he doesn't need me in the slightest. And yet he still came for me. God, may that truth just drive us to some deep personal reflection. May, that, may we realize that, that we don't, we're not doing God any favors. He, he, he came for us. And so God, I just pray that your spirit would work in this room now. But it would work through the story that's getting ready to be told. It would, be, it would work through the batches. It would work through, through the worship team. It would work right now on, on the hearts and lives of people. Lord, if we have declared you as king, gosh, may we worship in a way that's worthy of your kingship. And God, if there's people in here who haven't, compel them, Lord. Convince them. Draw them. Use your spirit to draw them, Lord, as Jesus promises it will do to fall at their feet today, fall at the feet of Jesus. May they talk to one of us, may they see us, may they come to these altars and we're singing, whatever it is, give their lives to Christ today because he is worthy. We pray these things in his name. Amen. I was baptized as a baby, so I was at Sunday school from 3 to when I went to school, which is Catholic school, so it's kind of my whole life, and then I went to middle school at Otter Creek, and still went to a Sunday school thing on Sundays, and which was like a thing to get ready for confirmation. So senior year was confirmation. That was like a weekend thing. And then like parents came at the end and you'd like share how you felt and like what your story was. So I never found that like, ooh, it kind of like hit me thing. So I was like, well, I did it. So feel good. Since I couldn't really open up, I just had questions. Cause I didn't, like I knew what being saved was, and like I knew that, like if you believe in him, then you're, you're good, but I still felt like I didn't know, like how strong of a relationship I had. I always wondered like how people had that big, like, it moment where they found it. And so I never really talked about it with anyone, because I thought that was like your own thing. Yeah. I had a lot of questions. I just kind of went with it. Like, I didn't go to church very much anymore, but I had to feel like, you feel like you need to go more. I went back to church because Isaac asked me to go with him. And it's a really good environment, and it felt more like a thing you want to do instead of a thing you have to do. So at Young Adults, when I came and everyone brought their own Bible, and it was more open up and com conversational. So I went and got one that I thought I could understand. When I did, I didn't know how to read it or how to really start from it. So I was asking Lexi how she kind of does reads on her own, and then 
She looked at it and was like, oh, I can get you a better one that's like hers. Since I opened up to her about it, then like one night we were talking and it was just so easy to kind of open up and ask questions and, and so talking with her really kind of started getting it going. At school, when it was getting harder, it was more studying and doing other things, so I kind of, I didn't lose the church thing, but it was kind of in the back again. It was more like not focused on what I should be. So I kind of thought, like, I need to do this. So all on me, and I have to do everything. So it was kind of like all of it hit me at once, and I couldn't do it by myself, so I had a breakdown. With that, it kind of was like, maybe you do need to rethink stuff and kind of let it go and let God take you through it instead of you being like, it's all on me now. So on one Sunday, Mark gave a sermon on how you need to let everything go and nail it on the cross and just let him take over and you'll see like how it can really help you. So everything he said just kind of fit to where I was. So it was like a big, there it is moment and you just need to stop and let him do it. And that night I just told it like I felt it and I just let everything go for like once and like just saw how it totally made a difference. And so that day I just gave my whole life to Christ. I felt like that was a big moment that you need to recognize because I let him in, so I should be baptized. And reading all those verses, it really made sense to do it. Relationship with Christ is a lot stronger and more clear on different things, and it's just like I'm. I just feel like freer. Sydney um, down here. Um, Sydney's a little more camera shy, but you can see her story on those little half sheets of papers you got. Um, and it's just part of the story. Uh, it's a great story. You want to get to know her. Um, her parents and her brother and sister are here this morning, so get to know them as well. Um, come on out, Sydney. This is Sydney. I like to call her Sid Vicious. Look how vicious she is. She's so vicious. She's ready to throw me out of here. Um, but she uh, came to us through an invitation through Sandy, uh, one of her friends, and she's been coming on Thursdays and Sundays ever since and just loves this place, and we love having her here, and she's just a, a great presence and a sweet, sweet girl, and, and um, we're just very, very glad 
um, to take part in this. She's been excited and anxious about this happening. Uh, so, Sydney, have you accepted the Lord as your uh, Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Yes. All right. Well, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of his death, and raised to walk in newness of life. Well, you all met Lindsay, so she makes her way down here. Um, we're excited, really excited to just get to share this moment with her. So, Lindsay, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Yes. All right, and turn this way. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ. Be thankful to God for his wondrous gift of salvation today. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? We're so thankful. And this is an opportunity, as Brett said, for all of us to respond. To respond in worship. Don't leave. We want you to stand. We want you to come to your feet. We want you to lift your hands in praise and worship to God for this wondrous love that he has given to us in Jesus Christ. We are going to celebrate his great name. Stand and worship the King of Kings.
Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift up his face upon you and be gracious unto you and give you peace both now and forevermore. Merry Christmas. snow from my doorstep I just can't help but stop and grin it's like I'm 10 years old again and everywhere I go I can feel it some say it moves like a spirit it falls on us once a year like it came on at midnight clear so love this season is a gift when love came down the last limb let's open up and let our hearts embrace this moment for